Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Hey, I know you guys. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sweet. God bless you. It is so, so good to be with you here today. You wonder why we had all the boxes and the video kind of explains. This is a theme we're going to have for the next couple of weeks, probably taking us up into Easter, honestly, about moving day. And then you're going to learn in the sermon today, this is about the Holy Spirit moving. Holy Spirit coming into our lives. So big theme that we're building on. My name is James. It is so, so good to be with you. Obviously, I'm a little mobility challenged, but so, so tickled to join you, whether that's live and in person, I get to see your beautiful faces, or sadly, if you're watching online, you see my face made for radio, but still, we're glad that you're here either way. And and with the challenge, I, I kind of have thrown them already. I, I thought they Thought it was just going to be one camera angle, but I'm all over the place. I'm so mobile. But uh, as I recover here from my surgery, this is what you're going to get out of me. So thank you so much. I want to take the opportunity before we get started just to say um, thank you to this church. Because you've been so, so good to me. I appreciate there have been so many cards and prayers and meals and folks checking in on me on social media and, and praying for my wife who really needs the prayers still. Remember, Christina, but, but it is just a blessing to be part of this church. I appreciate you guys so much. Is it sunny in here? There's something in my eyes. It is a blessing. Thank you so much. So before somebody really starts crying, grab your Bible and join me. We're going to be working through the book of Acts together. I'm very, very excited about this study. Acts, if you're kind of new to the New Testament, is the first book that's not a gospel. So jump in there and and skip past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find the book of Acts. We're going to study this together. We're going to walk through for a couple reasons. Number one is, if this is your church, you've been around for a while, you know we spent two and a half years walking through the gospel of Luke. And this is the sequel to that study. So I think that's really good that we're going to catch the whole picture that Luke gives us. But also, and I think this is probably more important, this is really important for us as the church to kind of wrap our heads around why we do what we do. How are we supposed to be the church here in the present day? And how are we supposed to do that because of moving day, because of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And we talk a lot. Like, again, if this is your church, we just spent three weeks walking through this. We talk about our purpose and our mission and our vision. Those things are important to us. Our purpose is to help people become relationally connected. That leads us to our mission where we help make disciples who make disciples. And that should see us joining in to be with God as he's working. And and so those things are going to unfold. You're going to see where we stole that as we walk through the Acts of the Apostles. And there's, there's a good bit in here about the origins of the history of the early church as we know it. But this whole study is really heavy on application. That's where we're going to dig in. We'll learn some academic stuff. There'll be some head knowledge stuff. But as always, we're going to focus on application. How are we going to join God in a way that brings him the glory that he's worthy of? That's a very important question. So real obvious spoiler alert at the start. This book is about Jesus, okay? Raise your hand if that surprised you. No. Uh, (laughs) This is what we focus on for sure. We're going to run into a lot of other characters as we study, but this is all about Jesus. What we do here today as a church is all about Jesus. We have church services here today. We get to go out as we leave here and be the church 
because of Jesus. So all about Jesus. For your knowledge, just a little review, some of you, we did this as we studied Luke. We got to deal with who is the author of this study. Do we remember who Luke is? What do we remember about him? Sorry. And, and we know that the Holy Spirit inspired Dr. Luke to write this stuff down. And I mentioned he's Dr. Luke. That tells us one of the things we can know. He's probably fairly rich. You probably don't know any poor doctors, right? But he's also very, very highly educated. And I think he's a very intelligent guy. And I'm going to paint with some real broad brushstrokes here. But, but the reality is a lot of times smart people, wealthy people, intelligent people have trouble accepting grace. <laughs> they have trouble getting out of their own way and realizing God made the way for them to spend eternity with him. Those people are to be saved from their sins, saved to in a relationship with God. And sometimes smart, rich people struggle with that because they have this notion, well, I can fix that on my own. I'll just think my way through that situation or I'll just throw money at that. And then that's a quaint notion, but it ain't true, right? But sometimes we like to think that way. Here in the New Testament, it's amazing. We actually receive literally just over 27% of God's word to us through Luke. I don't know if you realize that or not. He only wrote the two books, Luke and Acts, but just on sheer volume alone on the number of words, we get over a quarter of his word to us through this guy. Who is he? As I said, he's probably a fairly rich guy. I think we're going to meet somebody richer than him here in a second. But he's a very smart guy. And we know that. Scholars tell us that. Folks who write commentaries tell us that. He wrote this in the original Greek, but the manner in which he wrote. You can tell sometimes by, some, by how somebody writes. The, the words the Holy Spirit inspired him to use tell us he's not only educated, he's intelligent. He's a smart guy. And those two things are not the same, right? We know that for sure. You probably know some people who are fiercely educated who aren't all that smart. Don't tell them. They might be sitting next to you. Don't point. But, but we also know some people who are supremely intelligent who didn't go beyond secondary school, right? You have both those things. Probably highlighted in the story, you probably heard this one about the, the army supply truck that was busy at work, going to take supplies to the troops behind, you know, the enemy lines and, and was traveling down this really narrow kind of backcountry road, literally kind of down a ravine, so narrow. And they came to an underpass and the truck was too tall to pass through. It was literally too tall, two inches too tall to make it through the underpass. And so now this guy's stuck. What's he going to do, right? He can't back up. It's a ravine. He's literally kind of stuck there. Can't do a three-point turn. So he gets on the horn and he calls his superior officers, and they call military intelligence, and they bring in contractors, and they call engineers, and all these supremely intelligent, educated people are trying to figure out how to get this truck through, right? Well, this takes a couple hours, and, and they're there, and now other cars have come along, and they're queuing up behind this supply truck, and, and the drivers are getting out, and the passengers are getting out, and they're all offering their less than educated guesses of how to, to get this through, and, and the best they come up with is the same as the engineers. Maybe we can cantilever up this bridge just two inches and drive through, but there was a little seven-year-old boy who's driving with his dad, and he said, all you got to do is get under that thing? <laughs> yeah. Like, why don't you just deflate the tires a little bit, creep through, blow them up on the other side? <laughs> Sometimes it's not education that gets us there, right? Education and intelligence. Luke has both of them. We can tell by the way he writes. And this is something that's so neat to me because we hear this. We hear that the gospel is for everyone. But a lot of times the people we encounter in the gospels, they're broke people. And they're broken people, Right? We meet people who are face down in the mud. We meet people who are at the end of their rope. And Dr. Luke doesn't seem to be that guy. 
Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that thing that we learned when we studied at Christmas is true. It says it's good news for all the people. It's good news for everybody. Everybody gets in on this. God's plan is for everybody. Doesn't matter our education level. Doesn't matter our economic status. Doesn't matter our race. It's available. So picking up from this gospel account, Luke's going to continue to report on the life of Jesus. That's what he talked about in the gospel. That's what he talks about here. And we need to remember, Luke wasn't there, okay? He wasn't an eyewitness. And so the picture I have in my head, and you guys know I I do this. I kind of like to just paint pictures to help me understand what's going on. To me, Luke is Indiana Jones, right? He's an investigative reporter. He's out there. He's got the fedora. He's got the whip. He's afraid of snakes. But, but, But he's out there writing these things down. He's talking to people. He's interviewing people. And he gets to be there because he was a good friend of the Apostle Paul. Now, I can't prove this one, but this one makes a lot of sense. I think Luke might have been Paul's personal physician because Paul needed a doctor all the time. Read Paul's story. He's getting shipwrecked. He's getting bit by snakes. He's beaten with rods. He, he, He has this thorn in his flesh we famously read about. He needed a doctor. And I think Luke was providing that service. But he's also there with the hat on. He's also there doing the investigative reporting. And he's writing down this rich history of the things Jesus did. And then the things other people did because of what Jesus did. So that's how we get this account. Luke is traveling with Paul. He's Indiana Jones before Steven Spielberg. And and quickly let me mention this. I do think Luke gets to do these things because he is financed by another guy who's richer than him. There's a name we're going to see as we start this study. And we also saw it back in Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. There's a man named Theophilus. And I think Theophilus is the guy who pays for this journey. I think he's the guy who bankrolls Luke. Because everybody knows this, travel is expensive. I got to travel a little bit with my youngest boy and then my daughter over the last couple weeks before my surgery. I tried to get him out of the way. And that ain't cheap, right? You got to pay for the places you stay. You got to pay for the places you eat. Normally, you've got to pay for that yourself unless you have a benefactor. And I think that's what Luke has. I think Theophilus is a rich guy who pays his way. Now, in that, Theophilus becomes one of the most incredible examples that we can follow in God's word today. I think he's great. Why? Because he's generous. I think he just willingly gave of his financial success, his ability. And so this isn't the main application for us today, but it's a good application Do we ever stop and think what God can and will accomplish through our generosity? Is there somebody we could send on a mission trip? Is there a child we could sponsor in another country? We're never going to go to that country, but God might still use us to make a huge impact for him. I'm just saying, I think Theophilus is a good role model. All right, if you have your Bible, that's enough set up. Let's dive in. We're going to spend a long time in this study. Starting in Acts 1, verse 1, Dr. Luke's going to keep unpacking Jesus' life for us. We'll have it on the screens if you need it. And he writes this. In the first book, O Theophilus, and again, that's the gospel of Luke, he says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, Remember, he said this is going to be a lot about the Holy Spirit, about moving day. He'd given the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering. That's key. Pay attention. He proved this by many proofs. He appeared to them during 40 days. He was speaking about the kingdom of God. That was his favorite thing to talk about. Verse 4, and while staying with the apostles, his disciples, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. 
said, no, you guys wait here for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we know the Gospel of Luke, that was the prequel. And we learn Jesus voluntarily surrendered his life. He did that to make the way for people to be saved. Now we get the sequel, and we're going to see how Jesus gives his followers power. And he gives them this power through the person of the Holy Spirit. That baptism he's talking about, that's moving day. That's when we're saying the Holy Spirit is moving into the lives of Christ's followers. But Dr. Luke uses such a neat turn of phrase here, and I just love it. In verse 1, he says that he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Stuff he did, stuff he taught. What is that? That's Jesus' works and Jesus' words, right? And for all of us, we should always strive to have our works match our words. Otherwise, we get called a name. <laughs> and we know what that name is, right? We get called a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is when our words don't match our works. You don't want to be that person. No, 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 don't, don't do what you see me doing. Do what I say. People know that's foolish. That's not the way to go, right? Well, Jesus did a lot of stuff and he said a lot of stuff. And I want us to understand those two things are inseparable. They have to go together because he's Jesus. His works match his words. And that creates tension for a lot of people in this world. A lot of people like the notion of Jesus. A lot of people have read the Bible and they think as a work of fiction, that thing's amazing, right? They love to hear Jesus stories because they hear about things they did. And they say, oh, Jesus, man, he's a social justice warrior. Jesus is feeding the hungry. Jesus is caring for the poor. That guy is great, man. He plays with little children, rescues lost animals. He's, he's a good guy. Hey, let's invite Jesus to our party. He turns water into wine. That guy's a blast, right? We love the stuff he does. And then he opens his mouth and people start having a little more trouble because Jesus says things like, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes into an eternal relationship with my father unless it's through faith in me. And people are like, say, what? What did he say? Jesus says things like, go and sin no more. Jesus says things like, you got to die to yourself in order to live for me. Jesus says things like, you got to obey the government that I put in place unless they ask you to disobey me. And all of a sudden, people are not liking Jesus as much, right? Oh, I like it when Jesus loves well. I like it when he serves well. I like it when he pours out his grace and his mercy. But we can't take those things apart from what he says out loud. His work and his words, they go together. They're inseparable. They're kind of like the knots on a shoe. I brought one of my shoes up here because I'm not using it. I can't put any weight on this foot for another 11 weeks. And so at the end of this, I'm going to have a closet of really functional left shoes and worn out right shoes and uh, might start a shoe fund. But, but if you tie your shoes with a, what do you call this? The bunny rabbit loop, I guess the hoop swoop and pull. Thank you, Google. I looked it up. If you tie that, you end up with two loops, right? Well, those two loops are both important. What happens if you try to undo one of the loops? Both of them fall apart. That's the way that works, and it works that way on purpose. Well, that's the way the works and the words of Jesus work. You can't take just one without the other. You have to have both. Hope as you're tying your shoes from now, and you're going to think about how those things work together. And in this passage, in these first few verses, we see Jesus doing a lot of things, right? We see that he ascended into heaven. We see that he appeared to his guys. We see that he hung around for 40 days, but he also was talking, he promised them the Holy Spirit. He gave a hard command. He said, wait here in Jerusalem. 
And again, sometimes we like the stuff we see Jesus doing. We just don't like to be told what to do. But one loop doesn't work without the other. We have to have them both. It's really helpful to remember Jesus wants the very, very best for us. His work and his words are leading to abundance for us. He's drawing us to himself. Yes, we may not like the way he does it. We like it better when he's doing miracles, feeding the multitudes, parting the seas. We like that stuff. But his works and his words reveal who he is. We can't follow just the one we like and not the other. So we're going to study this here. Jesus tells his followers, wait there in Jerusalem. And he gives them kind of the early warning sign about moving day, about this upcoming day of Pentecost. And this is going to be a great study. We're going to get that. Because that's when all Christ followers receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you caught this in the text. He said that he gave the Holy Spirit to some earlier. We get a benefit today as Christ followers that early Christ followers didn't get. They had to wait for the day of Pentecost to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we get it the moment we profess faith. So that's amazing. But let's look at this moving day. Look ahead. This is starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. That's hugely important. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, if you're reading this and you go, man, I don't think that looks very good for the apostles. You're right. <laughs> These guys look bad often, okay? They make me feel so much better about myself. Uh, but because the, here they are. They've heard what Jesus has said. They've seen what he's done. And now he shows up and they just blow it. Should give us a sense of relief. But for some background, we understand why they blew it. At this time of Christ's crucifixion, God's people were being ruled by Rome. And this was a pattern for them. They'd gone through generations of being ruled by other people groups. We can't even mention all of them. The Assyrians and the Babylonians, and then the Persians took a turn, and the Medo-Persians, and then Greece, and now it's Rome. And so they know the Messiah is coming. They know he's going to be the promised Savior. They're excited about that, but they're also hoping he's going to come be a literal king. They want Jesus to be a ruler in this physical world. Why? So that now God's people can take their turn throwing their weight around. They can tell other people what to do. That's clearly what's in their heart as they grill Jesus. They go, hey, is it now? That's what they're asking. Now is when we get our revenge? Now we're going to be the toughest guys on the block? And Jesus kind of gently reminds them, that's not the point. I've given you a mission. That's not part of the mission, to rule temporarily here on this fallen planet. No, I want you to go out and engage with people. I want you to go out and make disciples who make disciples. I need you to be my witnesses. When you think about our purpose and our mission and our vision that God gives us, and we illustrate it with the four chairs that you see out there on the posters in the Connection Center, that's all this is. We're supposed to meet people who are in chair one, lost people, and we're supposed to engage with them. We're supposed to be witnesses in front of them because we're trying to point them to Christ because we want to see God save them and they move to chair two. Now they're believers. We want to help believers be relationally connected with other believers. That's why we focus on that stuff so much because once they start to do that, once they get the body life, then they can move into chair three. They can be workers. Workers is where we figure out what our Holy Spirit gifts are. Workers is where we figure out how we can bring God glory by joining him. The beauty of that is we, we do that alongside people. We don't ever sit and tell somebody, hey, you ought to serve, but I'm not going to serve. No, we jump in and do it together. Our work matches our words because we're trying to get everybody to move to that fourth chair where we're disciple makers. 
and circle back around, meet people in any one of those chairs and help them grow. How are we going to do that? Right here, it tells us we're going to be witnesses. We're going to have people follow us, just as Paul said, as he follows Christ, because he's the example. We're just going to have the opportunity to go out and live our lives in Christ in front of people. That's what a witness does. And so Luke records Jesus telling his guys to do that, and he says, start in your hometown. That's what Jerusalem was for him. It's the same as if I said, hey, we're going to start this today in Lewiston. We're going to start it in Clarkston. We're going to start it in Asotan. That's where we are. We're going to go out and try and meet people there. But we're not going to stay there forever. Eventually, we're going to widen that net. We're going to go meet people in Lapway and Genesee and Pomeroy. And eventually, we're going to widen the net some more. And we're going to go meet people all Idaho, all of Washington. And eventually, that, that scope grows and it reaches the ends of the earth. Now, let's be honest. That, that's a huge task. That is hard, hard work. So Jesus gives us the special sauce there in verse 8. He explains why the disciples have to wait. He says, because you're not going to be able to go out and do this. You're not going to be able to go out and make disciples who make disciples until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to let you be an effective witness. They need that power. Well, church, I hope you realize we need it too. We need the Holy Spirit today to show up on moving day. And this is such a, a neat Greek word in verse 8 that's translated as power. It's the word dunamis. The root of that word dunamis is where we get our English word dynamite. That kind of power. It's explosive. Probably haven't played with dynamite. At least I hope. you know. But, but when the Holy Spirit comes in, things change. Things happen. That's power. I've been on a lot of pain medication. And I, I came to the service last Sunday and, and somebody was real sweet and sent me a text. You look so happy. Yeah, I was high. It was a, <laughs> like, you look like you were in no pain. I wasn't. I didn't feel anything. And so, so I started working at the beginning of this week on this sermon and I was still high. Is this a good story to tell? And, uh, and like I wrote some stuff and it wasn't making any sense. But I had this great idea. I was going to show a video that I found on YouTube of the Department of Transportation in Oregon. There's a beached whale. They didn't know how to move it. And so they stopped a half a ton of dynamite underneath it and they blew it up. And I told my wife about this and she said, hey, <laughs> maybe that's not such a good idea. So you can thank my wife that we're not watching that grisly scene here today. But, but we don't get to play with dynamite. But that's the kind of power I'm talking about, right? It's explosive. That's what dunamis is. Probably the closest thing we have is fireworks, but it's not quite the same. But there's power there. That's what Luke is talking about. That's what Jesus says. It's when the indwelling Holy Spirit comes, there's power. Now, we're going to see tons of examples of this in this study, but they're applicational, right? Because we have that power. Once moving day happens, once the day of Pentecost we're going to study about, once we profess faith in Christ, if we're Christ followers, we get that power. Holy Spirit comes in our lives. He indwells us to guide us. Do we use that guidance? to seal us until the day Jesus returns, to convict us of our sin. There's so many amazing roles the Holy Spirit performs. But in all those roles, there is power. I'm talking amazing power. I'm talking life-changing power. I know it's true, and I know I forget it sometimes. I wish I didn't need a reminder of how God provides power for us, but, but I do. And here's one of my favorites. I want to share this. This is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And, and Luke's traveling buddy tells us just how much power is available for us in the Holy Spirit. Paul writes this. If the Spirit of him, you ready for this? 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And the way that was written in the Greek doesn't mean if that happens. It means it happened. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And it's the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Who literally did that? Holy Spirit, thank you. And now he's going to give life to your mortal bodies. How? Through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you realize what kind of power we have as Christ followers? You ever told yourself that lie? I'm, I'm, I'm not strong enough. My buddies are doing this thing and I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I'm not strong enough to take a stand. I'm not powerful enough to stand up to that temptation. I've got this addiction issue, and and I'm not strong enough to stand up to that. Have we told ourselves that? Now, here's the deal. I'll be honest. That's right. We're not strong enough in and of ourselves, but we have the Holy Spirit in us. This verse tells us that that's wrong. We have, boom, power, explosive power. And Jesus had that power. And he's explaining to the disciples what their marching orders are going to be. And he's already displayed the power, how he conquered sin and death. He's going to display it again here in just a couple of verses. He's going to ascend into heaven, and we need the reminder. And I've, I've, when I became a Christ follower 26 some odd years ago, I got this all wrong. I think I still see this wrong sometimes. I think, I think the church does, and, and I'm not going to put that on you, but I know I did. Sometimes I don't consider the Holy Spirit's power correctly. Like I think of Jesus walking around on this planet and, and, I, and I picture him as Clark Kent and Superman. And I know it's a goofy idea, but Jesus was walking around, you know, wearing the, the robes and the sandals and, and the wonderful wavy hair and, and glasses like Clark Kent, right? But underneath, he's Superman. Like if he peeled back the robe, there'd be a blue and red unitard with a big JC on the chest. I, I just, you know, because you see him doing Superman kind of stuff. Read the Gospels. There's, there's a scene literally where a bunch of people surround Jesus and they want to kill him and he just kind of walks through the crowd. And so I get this image that, that that's who he is. He's walking around with the glasses on, which honestly is the stupidest disguise. Like, it's me. How did that fool people? I don't know the Superman, but, but that's the deal. There's a scene in the, in the classic Superman movie from when I was a kid with Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder. I don't know if you remember this one, old school movie. And, and Clark knocks his glasses off. They fall into a little campfire thing. And so he reaches in real quick so as not to blow his cover. And, uh, and <laughs> he throws the glasses back on. But then he has to pretend that the fire hurt him. Do you remember that? He like grabs his hand back. Ow. You know, <laughs> and Lois Lane's wanting to look at his hand and nothing. It's not burnt at all, right? Because he's Superman. Church, do we think that's what it was like for Jesus on this earth? I used to kind of think that. I don't think that's true at all. I'm really starting to wrap my mind around just how practical an example Jesus is supposed to be for us today. When he walked on this planet, when he was operating as fully God and fully man. I know there was a time I used to write things off like that. You'd read, well, Jesus lived on this earth without sin. And I'll go, of course he did. He was God. He's God in the flesh. He's a member of the triune Godhead. It'd be like somebody coming up and punching Clark Kent and him having to pretend it hurt, right? It didn't really hurt. That's not Jesus. I'm starting to grasp this now. Jesus didn't walk this planet like Superman where nothing phased him because he was God. Because if he did that, it would be very hard to correlate other passages of Scripture that tell us that's not what it looked like. 
There's a phenomenal picture of this in Hebrews. Let me share this. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. says, therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers, that's you and me, in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He was made like us so he could make a propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when, what, tempted, don't miss that. Jesus suffered. Jesus was tempted. Because he did that, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I know, I know I've read that before and say, yeah, Jesus was tempted. Not like I'm tempted. Jesus suffered. Did Jesus have to walk on crutches three months? I don't think so, right? Well, we tell ourselves things like that. And, and normally that's when the indwelling Holy Spirit gets to moving on me and just smacks me in the back of the head and says, you're wrong. That's foolish thinking. Take both the works and the words, stick them together. This passage tells me he suffered. This passage tells me he was tempted. Other passages tell us that while Jesus was on this earth, he voluntarily laid aside aspects of his divinity, aspects of his God nature. Paul shares that with the church in Philippi. Here's where he challenges them. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, instead, he emptied himself. How did he empty himself? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this passage in Philippians tells us he emptied himself to become God in the flesh. He humbled himself to go on the cross. The passage in Hebrews tells us he did that so he could pay the way. That's what that big word propitiation means. His death on the cross covered the debt of sin for all mankind, covered my sin. And so that helped me. I'm starting to wrap my head around this fact. Jesus did experience the struggle of living in this fallen world. Read your Bible. We'll see it. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired and slept. Jesus got exasperated with his clueless disciples sometimes. He just did all that without sinning. And so if you're tracking with me, the question becomes logically, how? How did he do that? Seriously. That's a question we need to deal with. And I don't think we'll totally be able to grasp exactly how it worked on this side of heaven because he's Jesus and we're not. But, but as we study this book of Acts... Man, I'm seeing it. I think he lived without sin. I think he endured struggles and temptations the same way we're supposed to, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're supposed to do it, with that boom, that dunamis of the Holy Spirit that's so powerful it raised Jesus from the dead. Now, we don't have time to unpack all that right? Jesus is God. We're not. But the takeaway is once we profess faith, church, don't miss this. We have that Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? We have that power. I wish we were an amen, church. That'd get an amen. Here at the start of this study, we're reminded Jesus came to show us what a Holy Spirit-empowered life is supposed to look like. It's not Clark Kent pretending he's human but being bulletproof. 
No, it's living like Jesus. It's being his witness in this fallen world. It's leaning in on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus gave us that example. And the example is important. In this life, raise your hand if you've been able to avoid all your trials. Raise your hand if you've never had a temptation. Raise your hand if you've never suffered or struggled. No, we're not going to be able to avoid those things. So what happens when they come? Will we stand up to the temptation, powered by the Holy Spirit? Or will we give in? Because we don't remember we have access to the most powerful spirit ever. That's the application question today for sure. All right, let's finish this up. Look at verses 9 to 11. And when Jesus had said these things, the disciples were looking on. You ready for this? He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Spoiler alert, these are angels. These guys show up because these other guys were clueless, right? Verse 11, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You wonder why the balloon's here? I have this lovely helium balloon. And, and they're fun, right? I get it. It's cute. It's great. But, but it's not all that exciting. As long as I hold this string, what's it going to do? It's going to sit here and be a helium balloon. Now, without a doubt, you've probably taken and given a helium balloon to a child before, right? What do they do? <laughs> they let it go because that's where the fun is, right? And then they cry and they wail because they lost the balloon. But there's a part of me that says, you did that on purpose. <laughs> you know you did because that's where the joy is, right? It's not in holding it. and letting it go. There were no helium balloons back in the day. This is what happened. Jesus starts to ascend and all these guys go. Wouldn't you? That's what I do. And they're sitting there so long that a couple angels have to come along and go, hey, time out. Do you understand what's happening here? This is important, right? Eventually, one of them says something. It's probably Peter. He's like, man, we should have tied a string to him. <laughs> Peter would say that. But, but, but they're just standing there staring into space. And, and the angels come and go, yeah, that's how he went. And that's how he's going to come back. It's going to look the same way, only in reverse. You're going to see him descend from the clouds. But here's the takeaway for us today, okay? And it comes in the unspoken part. Not often the Bible does that. The Bible lays out stuff we're supposed to do. Here's some stuff we don't see. We're not supposed to just sit like this. How boring a life would that be? I don't think I'll go on. That's it, right? If that's all we're doing, somebody's going to have to come along and elbow us and go, hey, there's some work to be done. <laughs> you can't just sit and stare up into the clouds. Now you got to engage. And the disciples knew this. Why? Because he'd already given them the mission. He'd already told them what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go be witnesses. They're supposed to make disciples. Until Jesus comes back, that's what we're supposed to do. That's why we have this purpose and mission and vision here at OCC. And we try to be so careful about this. It's not our purpose, mission, and vision. Amen? It's his. He's the one who gave it to us. That's why we're supposed to do it. We want to do it in a way where he gets all the glory. And we want to do it because we have the power. He's given us the dunamis to be his witnesses. 
to meet people and share one, to disciple people and share two, to encourage workers to serve and share three, and to get everybody to make disciples there and share four. That's how we're going to engage as a local church. That's how we're going to be the body of Christ. And I'm becoming more and more convinced about this. And maybe it's just as I get older and maybe it's as I spend more time looking up into the heavens going, please, Jesus, come back. We need you. But, but here's the deal. I don't think we're going to be effective as a church unless we focus on these things. I think we're going to lose all our steam. We're not going to access any of the power unless we're reaching out to the lost and making disciples. Amen? That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's what we're going to focus on in this study. By the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it'll probably take us about two years, unless Jesus comes back first. But we're going, to, we're going to keep persevering. And what we're going to focus on is being witnesses. Luke records that word 39 times in this letter, the notion of being a witness. Now, this carries a lot of weight, and I don't know if you're aware of this. The Greek word for witness is the word martis. Does that sound like a word we know in the English language? Martis. It's where we get our word martyr. What does a martyr do? Martyr is someone who chooses to sacrifice their own life. (laughs) They choose to die to themselves. They choose to face the struggle that would come instead of giving up something they value deeply. 39 times Luke records that we're supposed to be martyrs. When we read witness in this study, just think martyr. Now, this is kind of a heavy ending to this, but, but I want us to be able to say that. I want to be his witness and mean it. If I'm going to go out and tell people about Jesus, am I willing to be killed for that? That doesn't happen much here in America. Church, I'm telling you, in the developing world, it's happening. Folks are going out and dying, spreading the gospel. What's much more likely to happen to us? We're going to get persecuted. We're going to get made fun of. We're going to tell somebody about Jesus. We're going to tell them about the work and the words, and they're going to say, oh, you're closed-minded. Are we willing to bear that? If you need a reminder, we can look up and realize because of his death, because of the fact that he's coming again, I can go out boldly without fear of death or persecution. This is going to be a fun study, more fun than I ended today. But it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard, I promise you that. Because the question every week is, will we be Christ's witnesses? I know it's hard. I wanted you to hear it. I wanted you to hear it from me. I I want you to hear it from somebody who loves you. I want the best for you. Can we be in this together? God bless you guys. I love you so much. Let's pray. Daddy, help us to be your church. This is huge. Even if we're willing to talk about this word, witness, if we understand what it means that we join you and we have to have the power of your Holy Spirit to be effective, we're we're not going to be able to come up with anything on our own that's going to accomplish bringing you the glory that you're worthy of. But if through your power, through this amazing dunamis power, we can go out and engage with people who are lost. We can go out and connect with believers to draw them into the body. We can go out and serve as workers. We can become disciple makers. God, if we do that, we're on mission with you. That's where the life is. God, help us to look up into the heavens just enough to remind us of the work that we're supposed to do here on earth. 
God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Man, it's good to be with you today. You are dismissed. I will remind you, if you have questions, you have comments, anything that you want to share, we do that midpoint podcast, and there's a box outside. You can drop those in, or you can email those to us. We love to have those to engage with you. But God bless you, and have a great, great week. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.